0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Neer. On today's show, I'm going to be kind of doing a, an overview, review, <laughs> book report, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it, on the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Um, it's a really, really interesting book and, and something that I had kind of avoided, frankly, for a long time, just thought that it was not for me, and... Uh, it, it actually was. And I think that it's for everyone. And I think that there's a lot of value in it. So I really hope you enjoy uh, the episode and uh, thanks for listening. As always, today's show is produced and the music by Misha Zarens. Up guys, welcome to the walk show. Um, this week, I'm going to talk, kind of piggyback off of the episode that I did last week, uh, at least the tail end of it, where I talked about communication a little bit. Um, there's another book that I read uh, that I'm sure most, if not all of you, have heard of, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a book that I've heard of for again, you know, most of my adult life. At least I've been aware of it, and I always had a really cynical impression of it. I always thought that it was kind of a book about tricking people or manipulating people. Um, you know, at best I thought it was a book for people who don't know how to be social to do clever ploys or tricks to try and make themselves, you know, likable. And at worst, you know, like I said, I assumed it was something that where it's, it's teaching you how to, how to trick people or something. Um, I had a friend that suggested that I read the book. And so I decided to to give it a whirl. And I actually got to say that it's not at all what I thought it was. Um, it's a really interesting book. It, a lot of the, the the material in the book is stuff that, I mean, the book was written in, I think, the, the 30s, uh, maybe the 20s, but whatever. A long time ago, almost a century ago. And it's interesting to see how much of the material has been. Extrapolated on, so you know I've worked in in customer service and I've worked in sales, and a lot of the lessons that are in here you learn through those. Um, and to be fair, it you know it, th- those other materials or those other lessons that where people have taken it and applied the the how to win friends and influence people topics and applied those to more specific areas makes a lot of sense. Um, the book you know it's not huge it's a i don't know i guess i read it on a kindle so i don't really know how many pages it is it was like 300 on my kindle but you can change the font size and that changes the the page count so who knows it took me a, a couple of weeks to get through it um but anyway it, it it is kind of it does kind of jump around a lot so you know sometimes it's talking about how to you know work with with people like peers or something. And then in other cases, it's talking about how to be a better leader. Um, so it, it kind of, it kind of has ideas that then, again you know, as happened and makes sense that it happened, it kind of, people kind of got more specific with that information and applied it to more specific arenas. So you may be familiar with some of these things. Again, I, I know I personally was. However, what was striking about the book to me was that It was the first time I'd kind of seen all of those ideas put together in one place like that, and it was the first time that I'd seen those ideas, at least in some cases, um, really really kind of put out to be used at any time, not just in certain scenarios. So, for example, what I mean by that, without being too vague, is like... um, uh, one of the one of the, the easy ones is is it talks about smiling and the importance of smiling well i've come across that in customer service and i heard as a kid you know smile at people and stuff but it really it really has i mean it's a whole chapter on the significance of smiling and and how how important that can be um and how much of a difference it actually can make in people's impression of you and also in your impression of yourself and or your own mm-hmm. circumstance. Um, because it's kind of one of those like fake it till you make it kind of things where if you act happy, then you're much more likely to be happy. If you act unhappy, it's going to be real hard for you to get there. Um, so, you know, in customer service training, I'd always heard, oh, you've got a smile when you're on the phone. So the smile comes through your voice on, on the phone call. And so I was aware of that being a tactic to be used in that instance, but I hadn't really just sat and considered a lot of, you know, how important it could be in every, in every situation. And what's also interesting to me about this experience of having read this book is that I also have come to realize that there's just, and I'm sure this is true for everyone, but there's just times in life when you're ready for information and and when you're not you know, I don't know the exact cutoff (laughs) line, but if I would have read this book, you know, maybe 10 years ago, my mid twenties, or or maybe, you know, younger than that even, but, but I would say even, you know, that recent (laughs) and maybe even five years ago, I don't know. But if I would have read this book at a time prior to now, I think I would have been, I think I still would have been kind of cynical about it. And I don't know that I would have thought that it was manipulative if I actually sat and read it because it's just not, it it doesn't in any way advocate that kind of stuff. Um, But it, I I think I wouldn't have found the chapter on smiling interesting, for example. I think I would have thought to myself, yeah, I get it. Like, I can't believe that there's a chapter on this, but for whatever reason, at this point in my life, I was open and, and willing to accept that information and so then it and and really actually process it and think about it and so it did seem interesting and it it did seem meaningful um and so i'm not even i'm not even going to you know i'm not trying to tell you that you have to you know open your mind to <laughs> to to me telling you about this book or something but um i guess i would just say that you know if it doesn't resonate or it doesn't click it might not be just because it's bogus it might be because you just aren't aren't there right now, and it's it's not a shortcoming of you or something. It's just you know different people are at different spots. But um, but if this does resonate at all, I would highly recommend that you go check it out. It's a it's a it's filled with a lot of stories and a lot of anecdotes, so it's a it's an interesting read. Uh, it's also written in again the 1920s or 30s or whatever, so it's it kind of is from an you know an, a very different era in time, which is kind of interesting as well. Uh, I will also say, um, you know, I know I talked about, I guess this is the third self-help type of book, if you want to call it that, that I've talked about in the last couple of shows. And I'm someone who a lot of times is real skeptical of self-help books. Um, but because I always feel like, you know, oh, well, there, there are a lot of promises and outcomes pinned on, on some pretty vague or unspecific ideas. But That's not true of this book, and it wasn't true of the other ones that I talked about on the last show, which were Miracle Morning and and Discipline Equals Freedom. Those are both very specific. And How to Win Friends and Influence People is also very specific. Um, He he explains an idea, and then typically, he being Dale Carnegie, the author, and then typically provides several stories that kind of illustrate whatever point he's trying to make. Um, And, you know, some of the stories are they're reasonable and they make sense in the context that he's telling them, but maybe, you know, it's not as easy to recreate the exact circumstance that that story tells, but at least you get the idea of, of what he's trying to convey. So, um, I, (laughs) I fully concede to the popularity of this book. It makes a lot more sense to me now that I've actually read it, which makes sense that I would have had it and, uneducated opinion on something that I had never spent any time (laughs) actually consuming or reading or considering. So uh I guess it's just part of the arrogance of life sometimes, you know. Anyway, so I'm gonna kind of go through the different topics that the book covers, uh, and just kind of explain, you know, what the book says and kind of what my thoughts are on that. Uh yeah. And then like I said, you'll have kind of a better idea of, of what the book is all about and, you know, check it out if if it tickles your fancy. So the book starts out uh, with the very first idea being that you should not criticize people. People just imso- justify themselves for everything. And the book covers examples of, of known gangsters like Al Capone and, and a couple others who who thought of themselves as public benefactors. And the point, the reason that he uses those gangsters as, as the example is because he's trying to, to show that a person will justify themselves no matter who they are. I mean, again, mob boss type people publicly state, think that they're public benefactors. Now, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're lying and they actually know that they're horrible, but that doesn't jive with the way that everyone works. The way that everyone works is that everyone justifies their own existence to themselves all of the time. And most people don't think that they're an evil vile person. And even if they do, they would still justify that it's in service of something else. They were forced to be that way by a circumstance or a a situation, or they had, again, there's always going to be a justification. There's always going to be, yeah, I'm that way, but I had to be because insert justification. And that's the other thing that this book, not to to completely (laughs) sideline already, but, or derail already, but the, that's the other thing that this book does an interesting job of doing is, is really just making the point that like, there are traits and characteristics of people that a lot of times I think we look at as negatives or look at as, as if some like only certain people exhibit these characteristics, and it's not true. It's literally everyone, so it doesn't make it bad. And An example of that is justifying your own behaviors and actions to yourself. Everyone does it. So just because someone does it and it's a behavior that you don't like or you don't find favorable, and to be clear, maybe everyone doesn't find it favorable they are still going to justify it to themselves. And that's not unique to them because everyone is doing that. So you can't judge people just because they justify themselves because everyone does it. So anyway, so the whole point of, of explaining all of that is that because everyone justifies themselves, criticizing typically only serves to make someone dig their heels even more into that, right? Justify themselves anymore. And the other thing it does is it hurts their sense of pride, And pride is a thing that, you know, uh, a lot of people will say, you know, don't, you shouldn't have pride, kill your ego, that kind of stuff. That's fine for you on your personal journey, but understand that most people have not done that. And for most people, their pride is a very precious thing. And so if you criticize them and hurt their pride, then to deal with their hurt pride, they will now justify and probably resent you for the criticism. I mean maybe not, but probably that's the outcome. So the book goes on and it gives a few examples of of famous leaders like Abe Lincoln um showing great restraint. Like they he gives an a story of where this general in the Civil War had an opportunity to basically win the war if he would have just advanced on on the enemy on the Confederate army like before they got across this river or something. And and then the general doesn't take action immediately. And so Abe Lincoln writes this like really damning letter about like, I don't know if you understand to this union general about, you know, I don't know if you understand what you've cost us here and the opportunity that you have forfeited. And, you know, just a really, you know, strongly worded letter that is really condemning the guy's actions. And then the book, how to win friends and influence people reveals that, Lincoln actually just didn't ever send the letter like he had the letter and he was going to send it and he just he stopped himself. So the way that they know the letter exists is it was found among his papers after he died. And the way that Lincoln got to that place where he understood that criticism wasn't appropriate was when he was younger prior to being president. And I think maybe even prior to being senator. He. He criticized some local man in the, the the paper. I think it was like a local business owner or something, but he criticizes this guy in the paper. Well, this guy takes great offense to that. And so wants to find out who it is, finds out that it's Lincoln and challenges Lincoln to a duel to the death. And so they Lincoln goes and like learns sword fighting for a month or something. And then he goes and meets this guy and they're going to have a sword fight to the death <clears throat> over this criticism that Abe Lincoln had delivered. And their aides kind of jump in and prevent them from um, from, from fighting and, and killing each other. But, at least according to the book, from that point forward, Abe Lincoln wasn't really under, willing to criticize people anymore. Because he understood that it can take it to there. It can take it to where you think you're making kind of an offhand comment. And maybe you're even right, right? Like, maybe you're even correct in your criticism, but that other person might be willing to die for that right now, and are you? Are you willing to die for that? And so the idea is just that criticizing people is just never going to move. It never will move people towards you. It will never move people into a. It's never going to make people more endeared to you. And so it, it's not that you. It's not that you're supposed to be a doormat or something either. It's just simply that the open criticism. It's just not gonna, it just doesn't really move, again, doesn't really move the needle in the direction you want. But this is exactly what I mean about how this book is not about manipulating people. It's literally just saying out front, hey, don't be mean to people. I mean, that's not manipulative. That's not a trick. (laughs) That's just being a better person, right? That's just being aware of your social interactions and then managing those appropriately. Um, the second point is give honest and sincere appreciation so in this part the book is explaining that the value in giving someone thoughtful appreciation for what they do and the idea is not to just give flattery you know because no one really wants that and it feels patronizing or condescending when people do that but instead to to really consider them and provide specific adoration so you know saying to someone like you are nice doesn't really do a lot because it's just it's too vague but you were really nice when you helped me take that extra stuff to my car the other day thank you that is a real honest and sincere statement of appreciation um, and so it just kind of again it's the book isn't telling you a trick or a ploy it's don't criticize people so don't be a jerk and then actually give honest and sincere appreciation to people. So, actually take the time to to recognize what other people are doing for you, and and make them feel good about it by thanking them. That's ultimately kind of what this whole book becomes. Uh, the, The ultimate lesson in it is kind of this lesson of, you have to sacrifice your own pride to allow someone else to have more pride. And maybe, maybe because... You you know after reading this book or, or at the very least listening to this pod, <laughs> it's because it is a a tactic that you're aware of. Maybe you don't feel like you're actually sacrificing your pride when you allow the other person to feel better. So, you know maybe maybe you didn't think that the that it was that big of a deal that Tom helped you carry stuff to your car after work one day. But if you take the time to thank Tom. Specifically for that action, and 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 you know, talk about it specific in specific language. You're gonna build a better relationship with with Tom in that case, and so, yeah, it 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 maybe it doesn't hurt your pride or something to to take the time to thank him, but but the point just being that by allowing other people and helping other people to feel better about themselves, that in turn helps them feel better about about you. topic is arouse in the other person an eager want so the idea here is to really know what another person is motivated by and then strive to provide that which they want and also to be enthusiastic about it um, another phrase that he uses that I like quite a bit is bait the hook for the fish uh, and, and so it's basically just you know if you're if you're talking to someone who likes you know I don't know someone who likes basketball, well, then you can't try and relate something to basket weaving (laughs) when talking to them. You know what I mean? They don't care about that. But if you can instead find whatever thing you want to communicate to them, if you can instead find a way to relate it to something that they're already interested in, right? Or, and maybe that's a, a silly example. Maybe, maybe instead, uh, I guess I'll just say that, again, the, the phrase bait the hook for the fish is the, is the easiest way, I, the, the most succinct way of saying that that idea or conveying that idea that I've, that I've come across. I mean, and he says in the book, he says, well, I personally love strawberry shortcake, but fish don't seem to care for it. They like worms. So when I go fishing, I don't bait the hook with strawberry shortcake, which I like. I bait the hook with worms, which they like. So it's just the ideas that you know, like earlier I talked about how everyone is everyone is justifying themselves all of the time. And that's true. Well, the other thing that's a true characteristic of everyone is that everyone is selfish all of the time. Every single action is motivated by selfishness. And there's literally not an example that you can come up with that's not. Because even if it is you sacrificing yourself or something of yourself for someone else, you're still doing it because you think... That that is the best outcome. That you feel better about doing that than you would otherwise. If you go donated to charity, my mom and I went a couple of weeks ago and donated some time at a food bank. We did that. It's helpful. We're helping the community, but we felt good about it. It made us feel good to know that we were giving back, to know that we were contributing. So even a selfless seeming thing is selfish, right? and so that's kind of what this bait the hook for the fish statement is about is that everyone wants what they want. And that doesn't make them a bad person. That selfishness is another word that unfortunately it's not a, it, we need more words to describe, <laughs> describe the sentiment because selfish is associated with like greedy or like being like a petulant child where you won't share your toy or something or, you know, being mean to someone else in service of yourself. But that's not really fair, because that's not what selfishness exclusively is. That's a form of selfishness, but that's not all selfishness. Is. Selfishness is just the thing that motivates people, because they everyone wants themselves to feel good. And so, whenever you're interacting with other people, you should try and approach that interaction, understanding where they're coming from. That a lot of a lot of this stuff is all just basically empathy. It's putting yourself in the other person's shoes. It's understanding what they want and framing whatever your thing is, whatever your idea or conversation or topic or task or whatever it is that you want to convey to the other person. It's it's helping to frame it in a way that they will care about it. How, why do they care? How do you satisfy their selfish desires? Because you selfishly want it done and want them to help you get it done. But now you need to make it appeal to their, their selfishness a little bit of a tangent, but another word that drives me crazy that we do this with is consequences. When I was, excuse me, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, if I was going to get in trouble for something, my mom would tell me there will be consequences for that. But if I was, if I was doing something well, right? Like if I was supposed to do a chore and the outcome of me doing that chore would be that I got an allowance. It was never positioned that the consequence of of me doing the chore is that I get the allowance. It was, it was only ever positioned as the consequence of not doing the chore is a negative outcome. And I, I'm not trying to pick on my mom there. That's literally in all of society, that's the way I hear that word used. I never hear anyone say, well, the consequences of that are a positive outcome. And if they do say that, they usually don't use the word consequence. And I don't know why that is, but my, my point in bringing that up is that it's kind of like selfish where it, it's, it, it's just, there's too many different forms that that can take. And so we have this really negative association with it, but it's not inherently negative. A consequence is not inherently negative. It's just simply the, the outcome of something that happened before. Well, selfishness is not inherently evil selfishness is literally how people survive and live and come up with what makes them happy and everything so it's not it's not inherently bad to be selfish the fourth thing the book talks about you know it it really kind of piggybacks on the last two points which were give honest and sincere appreciation and arouse in the person the other person an eager want and this fourth point is Become genuinely interested in other people. So what that means is that, again, like I've just been saying over and over, in order for other people to like you or care about you, you've got to do that for them too. And so by really considering another person and learning what motivates them, what they care about, what they like, you can begin to build a relationship. The book provides an example of a couple in which the wife likes to garden, but the husband is indifferent about it. And so the husband decides to start participating with his wife and really taking notice of all the work that she does to have a beautiful and producing garden. And so then after he involves himself in it, he's able to give her real appreciation and shows her that he cares about it because she cares about it. And then his marriage improves dramatically. And it doesn't mean that, that you, know, you have to completely just commit to living someone else's life entirely with them. But if you really care about the relationship, then you will have to find a way for the other people to understand that you really are genuinely interested in what they're doing. Um, And it, you know, it, it just, it takes some work. The fifth topic is the one that I mentioned at the very top of the show. And that is simply just to smile. Uh, Like I said, the book has an entire chapter on the value of smiling and all interactions. Like I said, this is something I learned in custom customer service training, but it really just you know the book advocates that you do this in all situations when you're just meeting somebody. Uh, and again, even when you yourself are just, especially the book even advocates if you're considering something that's troubling to you, if you can find a way to smile, you can you can start to change your own mood and you can start to change your own mindset. And it's not that it's the book is not advocating that you should just default be happy only and never experience any other emotion. It's more just that if you find yourself in a place that you don't like emotionally, smiling can help you bring you back out of that. And the reason it's so valuable in interacting with others is exactly that, because someone else might be having a day and that smile is very insignificant for you, but could be very significant for them. And that can that could really lead to at least the beginnings of a a stronger relationship. The next one uh, is Remember Names. The, the book has a quote that I like, which is, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, obviously, people, you know, it, people trying to remember names and tons of people will say like, oh, I'm just so bad with names, I'm good with faces and, and that sort of thing. But the book just, you know, it it just makes the point that if you can find a way to remember people's names, it really goes a long way, especially um, especially the, the less acquainted with them that you are. I mean, certainly <laughs> if you work with someone every day or something and don't know their name, then that's probably a pretty big deal. Um, but if you've met someone a couple of times and you don't know their name, it probably is fine. But if you do, it can really, really move the needle for you. It can really engender you that person because they they know that you think that they're important. You thought that they were important enough to take the time to memorize their name. Now, what's true is that not everyone's capacity for remembering names and things is equal. So some people have a really easy time of it and other people legitimately do struggle with it. And the book suggests some different Strategies that other people have used, like it even it even tells a story about Napoleon and um, what he tried to do to to remember names, and it's just these different mental exercises where you create different associations with the name in order to to really try and you know sear it into the mind. But it certainly you know, and not not every method is going to work for every person. I would say that it certainly. Might require more effort than meeting someone a single time and going, oh, your name's Joe. Nice to meet you, Joe. And then never thinking about it again. If you forget and that's all the work that you did, then it might be that you have a bad memory or it might be that you just didn't actually really try much. And so I would I would advocate that, you know, when meeting people that, that you care about building a relationship with at all, do take an extra minute. I mean, literally 60 seconds out of your whole life. <laughs> To try and really, you know, drill saying that name and memorizing that name, um, because it can really go go a long way. The seventh idea is to be a good listener. People love to talk about themselves, so let them. So many of the the topics and ideas in this book relate directly, and being a good listener is about letting the other person talk and, and talking to them while they talk looking them in the eye, asking relevant questions or sharing a relevant comment all go a really long way into effective listening. And being a good listener will help you. The reason I say these all tie in is because being a good listener will help you accomplish the first items, right? Because the first things we're talking about are give honest and sincere appreciation, make the other person arouse in the other person an eager want, become genuinely interested in other people. Well, all of that ties in to listening, because you're going to have to listen to the other person communicate in order to identify what they want, what they care about, what you appreciate about them, all those kinds of things. Uh, and, and and active listening is something that I have, have personally worked on quite a bit. And I think there's a tremendous amount of value in being able to do it. And it really, you know, especially now, everyone, of course, talks about, well, everyone's got their phone out all the time, or people are distracted all the time. And it, it's true. And if you're sitting and talking with someone, again, that you care about maintaining or building the relationship with, you can't have your phone out all the time. You know, you've got to, you know, maybe you sneak a glance at it at some point, you know, if you're together with another person for a long time or something. But if you're having a 10 minute conversation with someone, don't pull your phone out for 10 minutes. If you're having a 30 minute conversation, don't pull it out for 30 minutes. Oh well, I've got an emergency pending. Well, turn your ringer on. And then if the phone rings or the thing goes off, then look at it and say, hey, I'm really sorry, let me look at this real quick. But active listening and being a good listener is so much just, it's strange because if you you just sit in silence almost and, and other people will be like, you are such a great listener. Well, it's because you're also paying attention to them. You're looking at them. You're nodding. You're maybe making facial expressions. I mean, not really dramatically like, like you're trying to entertain a child or something, but just, you're just obviously in it with them. You know, you're not staring out the window blankly while they, while they talk. Um, the, the eighth point is talk in terms of the other person's interests. So again, this kind of ties, and, and you'll see this as we go through these, a lot of these get kind of redundant like that. If you can listen well, identify what they care about, and then talk about what they care about, it goes a long way into building the relationship. It's almost identical to the become genuinely interested in other people um, and or arousing the other person an eager want because you have to be interested in them to understand what they would want. And then you've got to talk in terms of what they might want. The next point is make the other person feel important in a sincere way. Oh, that sounds an awful lot like give honest and sincere appreciation. Doing all of the other steps that we've covered so far basically leads to this one, and the real important word in all of these things is sincerity. Um, it, the and that's why again that's why this book isn't isn't what I thought before I read it, which again sounds stupid to say out loud, but the book is 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 much more about just being a better person yourself, being a better being and being being responsible on your own for your social interactions so again don't criticize people listen to people smile at people remember people's names take interest in other people show them appreciation when they do it and all of that is is to be done sincerely so the book's not giving you a shortcut you actually have to do the work of of caring right of giving a shit about (laughs) who you're talking to Next point is the only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. And I thought this was a really interesting point. Um, the chapter basically just tries to make the point that arguing over petty things accomplishes nothing. And he provides an example of being at a dinner party and the host of this dinner party gets some fact wrong. And so the author, Dale Carnegie, challenges this dinner host and on, on this statement that he's made. And looks to his friend for support. I think what it was was the host says that some quote comes from the Bible and it actually comes from Shakespeare. And so the host is going on about it. And then Dale Carnegie's like, oh, no, I'm pretty sure that's Shakespeare. The host disagrees with him. The author, Dale Carnegie, looks to his friend who's with him, who knows the answer also, and is like, hey, come on, you know, that's Shakespeare. And his friend says, no, I believe that's from the Bible. So Dale Carnegie's kind of taken aback by that. So then they leave later that evening. And Dale Carnegie asks his friend, why did you, why did you not tell the truth? You know, you know that that's Shakespeare. Why did you say it was the Bible? And his friend goes on to explain that being right in that situation, demonstrating that you are correct, doesn't serve you at all. Because really what you're doing is you're embarrassing the other guy because you're making him look like an idiot at his own dinner party at his own house. And you're going to create resentment from him from doing that. And it doesn't matter. It's, there's not, there's, there's no skin in the game in that conversation. You have, there's nothing to lose. And so uh, when I say nothing to lose, nothing to lose with letting him be wrong. So when he says it's from the Bible, if you, if you challenge that, Maybe it goes okay, but more than likely it doesn't because it's not like he positioned it. Like I wonder he's definitively saying where it's from. And so by challenging it, all you really do is create resentment from that guy because you've embarrassed him again, back to the very first point. It's a form of criticism. It hurts his pride, makes him justify himself, right? All those things. And instead, if you just sit there quietly and don't say anything, it engenders goodwill. And you might say, well, how is it goodwill? Because you're just sitting there quietly. Well, because he knows that you're a guest at his dinner party and you're part of this pleasant experience that he's having, sharing his stories and thoughts with people. And if he's wrong, he's the one accountable for that. So if someone else finds out he's wrong and he goes, man, that guy's really an idiot. Cool. That's not on you. It's not on Dale Carnegie in that example. Um, and so it's just, the, you know, the I, I really appreciated this chapter because... I think it's really easy to get caught up in in wanting to be right a lot. And there's there's actually just not a lot of value in doing that. There's not a lot of value in being that way because it just comes across as petty and annoying and it doesn't it doesn't make people like you. And so constantly picking arguments over over little things doesn't make sense. And the reason I say petty or little things is that again At no point does the book advocate that you become a doormat and let people roll over you. It's more just that you have to be consciously aware of who you're interacting with, what the circumstance is, why you care about that relationship or not, and what the outcome of your your behavior is going to be. The next topic is to to show respect for the other person's opinion. Never say you're wrong. So this, you know, again, this is very similar to... The last point about avoiding arguments, telling somebody flat out that they're wrong rarely goes well. Again, it's very similar to criticizing them and will probably just lead them to, to lead to them resenting you. And I mean, this is super visible today in United States political discourse. Nobody has conversations where they they actually want to to understand where anyone else is coming from. And if they do, it it lasts for <laughs> for one reply, and then it's back to just inside, insisting that the other side is stupid and wrong. Uh, and it often goes back to beyond just saying that, that whatever statement was stupid and wrong and often goes so far as to personally attack whoever made that statement. Well, then what happens is everyone is upset That the other person has now called them not only their idea that they said stupid, which was which hurt their pride to begin with, but now they've also said that they personally are an idiot and they personally are a scumbag or or whatever the case is. And it (laughs) you're not winning any friends doing that. And you're also not influencing people. Because a lot of people like, I don't I don't need friends. I've got plenty of friends. Yeah. Well, dipshit, you're the one typing stuff, probably on the internet or, or maybe just at a, you know, saying stuff at a bar or wherever, but you're the one that's choosing to communicate this stuff. So what is your point? What is your goal? Because if it's not to influence people and it's not to be able to bring bring people on board with you, then why are you saying it? You may as well just go shout into a wall if you don't care what the outcome of what you say is. And if you do care, I'm telling you, digging in and picking on people like that, it's just it's never going to work. It will never get someone to say, you know what, you're right. I like that idea, that point that you made. I like that idea that you shared. I didn't until you called me an idiot and insulted the, the heritage and lineage of my family. Once that came into play, then I understood, man, that's a really great... It- no one does that. It doesn't work that way. Next point is, if you are wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. This is a really big one. Um, I remember when I was working in customer service, I wish so much... That at least one customer would call in, freak out. Now, to be clear, that happens all the time. People call in and freak out, but if but they call in, freak out, find out they're wrong, right? Find out that this whole thing is their own confusion, and then actually sincerely be like, "Hey, you know what? I was wrong, and I shouldn't have freaked out, and that's my bad." But none of them ever have the balls to do that. Instead, when the, when proven incorrect, those types of customers every time they would just simply. uh just say, okay, fine and hang up. And then that was it. They just move on. The thing is, is that by admitting your own mistakes, you are accountable and you show that you're willing to learn and you're willing to, to grow and you're willing, willing to be humble. You're willing to be wrong. And, and it also shows when you admit that you are wrong, that you're that just because you you did something one way one time doesn't mean that you will forever do it that way. Because you admitted that it was wrong, you admitted that you handled it poorly, and so now you can move forward to a new thing. But if you never admit that you're wrong and always want to be a tough guy about it, well, no one, <laughs> no one cares. No no one's gonna no one's gonna come to your side for that, um, and no one will trust you. No one will trust you. to to get better over time, because you don't demonstrate it if you don't admit when you're wrong and you don't say, you don't own your your own mistakes. The next topic is begin in a friendly way. This kind of really sums up, honestly, the whole book (laughs) in a lot of ways, because it's, it's, it's just talking about starting interactions with something positive, you know, some people hate the say something nice and then, and then say something bad. So if you got to give bad news, you got to give good news first, but it, it's not about doing that to just patronize someone. It it can be, it, it can be that, you know, it can be, you're going to deliver some bad news. So you're going to give some good news first, but it's also just about, again, smiling when you encounter people beginning in a friendly way, as it says, um, I have a pretty good relationship and throughout my work life, I've always had a pretty good relationship with different people in the office. And I had, I had a guy ask me one time how, how I did it, how I was able to cultivate, you know, at least decently good relationships with, with other people in the office, because it's not like I spend all of my free time hanging out with all of these people, right? We're, we're coworkers and, and I, I see them there. And that's almost exclusively it outside of a few circumstances. And I told him it, it's, it's actually a lot simpler than it seems because the, really the two things to do are to a be present. So you've got to be in the office. You've got to be around the people and you've got to be with, you can't just hide in your desk. You've got to be able to stand up and walk around and say, Hey, what's up? How you doing? And you know, greet people. And then you've got to be pleasant. You've got to be present and you've got to be pleasant. And that's it. That's the whole ball of wax. That's the secret for people in your workspace liking you: is be around and and be nice. <laughs> Begin in a friendly way, um, and it doesn't mean you have to be joking around all the time or trying to, to entertain people. It just means that you're you're not you're not constantly complaining about stuff. You're not something that when someone sees you, they think, "Oh God, here comes a stressful conversation." You just you're pleasant. Present and pleasant. The next one is get the other person saying yes, yes, immediately. So this is something that people are probably pretty familiar with from sales. It's like a, a sales tactic where you, you you try and get, as the salesperson, you try and get the, the other person, the potential customer or whatever, to to, to give affirmative statements. To be saying yes. Um, it... It sounds. It can sound like a form of manipulation. I think to people because it has that that tie in with sales things. Um, but I don't know that that's entirely entirely fair because honestly, manipulation is another word like uh, like selfishness or like consequences that I think actually is just it's not specific enough because people use manipulation to mean. Like tricking someone into something that's not in their best interest, right? Or yeah, tricking someone is the easiest way I can think of to say it. But that's not what manipulating means. I mean, if you if you move your fingers, you're manipulating your fingers, right? If you <laughs> if if you if you pick up a TV remote and press buttons on it, you're manipulating the remote. Well anytime you communicate anything to another person it's technically manipulation because you're technically trying to get them to understand or think or consider or act on whatever it is that you're you're telling them but it doesn't mean that you're trying to trick them or deceive them or, or hurt them or do anything that's negative um, I think that I don't know. Like I said, I just I think that there's our, our, sometimes our language is, is actually somewhat stifling because it's hard to have conversations about some topics because there's such a stigma associated with certain words that it, it makes it challenging to, to kind of get around that. People get hung up on the word manipulation, don't want to hear about it. You know, the thing is, is communication is not specifically just words that are being said, but also the body language, the context, the other factors. And getting people into an agreeable frame of mind is not in and of itself a trick. It, it only crosses into that territory if you're using getting them into an agreeable frame of mind to convince them of something that they otherwise you know don't want to do, that's otherwise not in their best interest. The next point, let the other person do a great deal of talking. Well, this is kind of like being a good listener. Um, people... Like I said earlier, really like to talk about themselves and their interests. And people like to figure things out. So letting other people command the conversation can really go a long way. They, they'll, You'll get credit for being a good listener. Um, and if they come up with a good idea while you're being a good listener, even though it's their idea, they'll probably be like, oh man, when I was talking to you, you helped me come up with that really great idea. Except that you didn't maybe, because maybe it was all them talking and, and working through it. And you're just there listening to them, and and th- and that's that's okay. Um, it's just letting the other person talk more and letting the other person, again, kind of command the conversation. It makes people feel better about about themselves. Um, you know, I, I find myself sometimes in situations with where, I, and like everyone, but where I'll be at like a. An event or something and maybe I've got a couple of friends there they're close but I don't really know the other people well the easiest way to you know have people interested in talking to you and being around you is to just ask them about themselves and ask them to, to tell you about what they do and what they like and what they're interested in and then all of a sudden you're this great dinner guest or this great party guest and really just hang out while people <laughs> while people talk piggybacks right off the last one, this next idea, and that's let the other person think the idea was theirs. Um, You know, if if you're talking about something and you come up with an idea and the person likes it and then they implement it and then they start, you know, in some way taking credit for the idea, let them do it. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, in every situation that works. I mean, maybe... (laughs) Maybe you're at some job or something where you're incentivized for solving a problem. And so there's there's a, a real reason that you would want to make sure you you had credit for it. So fine. But in most situations, that's not the case. And in most situations, you know, it'd be like, like I read this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Well, I said at the top of the show that I had a friend that suggested it to me. But if I hadn't said that, I still read the book and I still have these things to say about the book. And that friend wouldn't be getting anything out of insisting that I'm aware that it wasn't my idea to read the book, that it was their idea. Now, again, in this case, it's irrelevant because I already gave them the credit. But if I hadn't, it wouldn't really serve them in any way to make sure that 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 we were clear that they were the ones that came up with the idea, because that was the end of their involvement was them saying it. And and since then I'm the one that read the book and and have become more interested in it. Right. So the point again, is just not to be petty. Don't be petty with other people. That's, that's one of the biggest things I see all the time with people that, that struggle with friendships and struggle with relationships is just don't understand how petty they are. Like they don't. and, And I, and I really think they don't understand. I don't think it's because they don't care or because they love being petty. I think they just don't understand how incredibly frustrating it is to be around someone who wants to nitpick and constantly argue, right? (laughs) The only, the only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. Um, just don't be petty with people. The next topic, next point, be sympathetic to other, the other person's ideas and desires. Well, I think we've already talked about that, you know, at a pretty great length, but again, you know it uses the word sympathy but i would also just say empathy put yourself where they are understand that again they're they're just like you they've got they've got pride they've got they've got desires they've got they're selfish just like you right um and so you got to you've got to really try and understand that if you care about building a better relationship again all of this stuff is in service of how to win friends and influence people. The next one is appeal to nobler motives. So, if you're trying to convince somebody of something, like to be fair in judging somebody, for example, it works well to remind your friend of their better attributes, not the person who's being judged, but the judge themselves, uh, to remind them of their better attributes. Perhaps somebody's mad at someone else for for something trivial or something like. Well, you might remind the person who's offended. That they deal with things in a reasonable and thoughtful way and have always shown grace when dealing with people, right? So you're not even really trying to attack or, or, or dissect or discuss with them the thing that they're mad about as much as that you just want them to under, to, to just remember that the person that they are isn't this, this bully or isn't this person who attacks people. That's not who they are. So just help them remember, you know, Where it is that they're actually coming from. Because emotions can get in the way of that sometimes. The next idea is dramatize your ideas. The more enthusiastic you are, the better off you will be. The more dramatic or or theatrical you can be, the better impression that you will make. Um, The example he gives is that like he was trying to sell this guy. I say he. It wasn't Dale Carnegie. A salesman was trying to to sell some product to a, a potential client and it would save him a lot of money. And I think it was actually, I think it was a, I think it was cash registers. I think it was more modern cash registers and the store owner just wasn't ever interested. And so eventually this guy comes in and just drops a bunch of pennies all on the ground and then explains that that's what the guy is losing constantly by, by not upgrading his machines. Now that might sound silly as an example now because pennies now are almost valueless, but again, this is in the 20s and 30s when things cost 5 cents and 10 cents and all of the currency uh, denominations actually mattered, right? Whereas now, maybe not as much. But but, but anyway, the point, and, and this kind of goes back to the arousing the other person in eager want, right? It's the the idea just being that the more enthusiastic you can be, and the more, again, you know, dramatic or theatrical you can be in delivering an idea or something that you want to people, the more likely it is that they will be receptive to that. And to be clear, this last section, including that last idea, um, dramatize your, your ideas, these are all kind of in the frame of leadership. Um, like I'd said at the beginning, you know, a lot of this book is about dealing with your peers and dealing with your personal relationships. But this last third is is really a lot more uh, about from kind of a leadership perspective. So this next topic is throw down a challenge. And again, framed from the, the kind of leader perspective. So the idea is that if somebody isn't motivated to do something, you can try and, and create a challenge for them to do it. Um, one of the examples he provides is there's there's a factory that isn't performing very well. And there's a, a night shift and a day shift. And what he ultimately does is kind of challenges the night shift to outperform the day shift. Not in a, a malicious way, but just like, you know, do you think you can do as, better than they're doing? Because right now they're outperforming you. Well, that then causes the night shift to kind of pick up the pace and and start doing better work. And and so then they eventually do outperform the day shift and then back to the day shift. Hey, you know, you guys used to outperform them. Now they outperform you. And again, you know, it's interesting because really it's kind of just like gamifying things is what it's talking about. And it, it's it's creating co- competition out of it. And this is something that's done all of the time and in all sorts of different, you know, in at work and business. Um, but even in personal development stuff, there's a lot of that. And again, that's why I say, you know that this book is almost a hundred years old and and it you can just in reading it, you just get that it's the foundation for so much of what is taught today, often in more specific and nuanced ways. but this is still this is still kind of where it comes from. Um, the next one is be begin with praise and honest admiration it's It's real similar to uh, what was it? Oh, begin in a friendly way. That's what it was. So begin with praise and honest admiration. You know you you hear these same words over and over again. You start by being nice. You start by by praising people, not by criticizing people. And you do it in an honest and sincere way. So you don't just say, you know, something something flippant or something that you that you don't really mean, something flattering for the sake of flattery. You really actually have to, to try. You really have to put thought into it. You really have to to be invested in it to get anything back out of it. Call attention to people's mistakes indirectly. That's the next one. This is one that I actually have kind of had kind of stumbled across in my own life and have found it very useful. Um, I found years ago in the workplace, at least, that if I have someone that I think is doing a good job, right, like a peer, I, I, I will go to their manager and praise that individual very specifically and explicitly. Oh, man, Susie did such an awesome job. And I just, you've got to understand how great she is at this. You know, she really helped me in this way, this way, this way, or or whatever the case may be, like really rep Susie in that case, right? But then, but then what I also do is if I'm going to, to, to call attention to a problem, right, then I don't do that directly. Now, obviously, again, as with all things, there's, you know, (laughs) there's degrees to this stuff. I mean, if someone was was blatantly doing something that's just very egregiously wrong, that's really causing a significant issue. Then yeah, I might be more specific or explicit. But if someone's just doing something that's not quite to the standard that that we're supposed to be following, or or um, is just not the best practice, and that's maybe leading to some other complications, well, instead of calling that individual out specifically to their manager, I will go and just say, hey, I've kind of noticed a trend where. I'm seeing that this and this is kind of happening sometimes. And I know we have this in place to prevent it, but I just thought I'd bring it up because I'm not sure what, you know, where that's coming from. Well, so what it does by, by doing the, 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 those interactions that way is that it demonstrates that if someone is doing well, so if I'm happy with something, I'm very specific and explicit about it and it helps the manager better understand who that individual is and why they're, you know, what value they're they're adding. And if that person becomes aware that this happened, they feel good because they know that they were recognized by a colleague, you know, in a very specific way. When it's a bad thing, what it does is it allows the manager to look at the situation and kind of discover what's going on. And frankly, that's their role and they have the bigger bird's eye view on things, right? So they can they can look into it. And it doesn't create a situation where they think that I have animosity for some other person or I'm, you know, she's <laughs> a, a childish term, like tattling or some shit, right? Like it's, they know it's not that because that's not what we're doing. Um, because I didn't say anyone's name. I just brought up an idea. I brought up a topic and then asked you to look into that topic. I didn't say Jane sucks really bad, right? I didn't say that. Susie's great. And if Jane's having problems, well, now I'm just gonna say, well, Jane, you know, we're gonna talk about the prop- the actual things that Jane's doing wrong, not Jane specifically. It it's built a lot of goodwill for me, um, and frankly, I feel good about it, even if <laughs> even if other people don't care or it's not as as uh, impactful as I might think it is. Um, I feel better about it. I like giving specific pra- praise to someone, and I like calling out another person's mistake in an indirect way and not not just pointing the finger at someone. Next point, talk about your own mistakes before criticizing the other person. Again, really ties back into a lot of the stuff we've already talked about. But if you make a mistake, admit it, own it, and don't just criticize others. Be empathetic, right? Try and see things from their perspective. Be introspective. What can you do different? Um, I mean, I find myself doing that often. If I, if I, if someone's doing something incorrectly or doing something that, you know, that's less than ideal. I will often try and identify something in my own situation that is similar so that they understand this isn't saying that you're like some crazy monster who's never, and no one else has ever made this mistake. Like I've made the mistake. It's not about that you have failed as a person because this mistake happens. It just means that we need to correct this mistake. That's all ask questions instead of giving direct orders. Instead of, hey, get this taken care of, it would be, is there anything we can do to, to take care of this? So it, it's it's allowing the other person to have some power in that interaction um, instead of, of just having to concede to you. And it allows them to kind of buy in more to it. it, it and again, this ties back into the the idea of letting the other person think it's their idea. Well, if I if I'm, you know, <laughs> if I'm at work and there's not enough rocks in pile A and I need more rocks there and I go to the person who puts rocks in pile A and I just simply say, I need you to I really need you to put more pot rocks in pile A. Well, maybe that makes them uncomfortable, right? But if I just say, "Hey, is there any way that you can think of that we could get more rocks into pile A cuz right now there's not enough, what can we do to resolve that?" Well, maybe you already know what the answer is, but if they come up with it, now they feel like they're the ones who have been empowered to solve the problem. And you actually have done that. And again, it's not because you're, you're then laughing away in some evil way because you fooled them. It's that you actually let the other person feel better about the situation and you still got the outcome that you wanted. Again, like I said, at the, at the top of all this, it's, it's constantly, the ideas are constantly just, limiting your own pride or your own satisfaction in a situation and letting the other person have it, letting the other person feel better. The next one, let the other person save face. Um, it's kind of, kind of the same thing talking earlier about, um, not embarrassing people. Um, It's it's not it, it ties into the not calling them out or criticizing them or, or challenging or arguing you know however you want to put that it ties into that but it's also about like you know if if Willie comes into work with his actually we'll just say if Walker because I did <laughs> it's a silly example because I anyone that knows me knows that I don't actually care but but whatever I came to work one day and had actually. I'm even going to stop there. I'm sorry. I know I keep, keep starting and restarting. This is the easiest example that happens in throughout the lives of, of men, at least. And that is sometimes your fly is unzipped, right? So there's a couple of ways that can be handled. If I notice that your fly is unzipped, I could loudly be like, Hey man, your fly's unzipped and kind of make a big deal out of it. Right. And maybe, maybe it doesn't matter because, you know, it's just a clothing thing or something. but if instead you're more subtle about it and kind of point you know kind of like motion or something and they see it and then they fix it, just let them fix it. You don't have to call out that they had made the mistake. You don't have to call out that the fly was open just just let it get corrected and move on um, And again, that sounds like a silly example because that's not it's not a meaningful event but but I think it illustrates the point. the point just being that if someone is wrong, fine and if they correct it let that be fine too let it be their idea let it be them that solved it again sacrifice your own pride to let them have theirs praise the slightest improvement and praise every improvement be hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise so and that was the the next the next point but Again, ties into everything we've been talking about. People hate criticism, love praise, be encouraging, tell people when they do well, be interested in their own success, right? Like, and be as, as interested as they are. Um, but the idea is, is again, when, when something's going well, tell people about it. That's why, that's actually how it started with me in my workplace throughout, you know, different workplaces, but in my, my, my day job life where I will praise individuals and, and be indirect about negative stuff is exactly that. It's that, you know, I've noticed that it's common in, in leadership. If there is a problem, a leader will have almost no problem pointing out, or excuse me, no hesitation in pointing out that problem. Right. So if, if the, the TPS report wasn't done on Friday and it's supposed to be done on Friday, you'll hear about that it wasn't done on Friday. But if the TPS report is ready every week on Thursday night so that it's there absolutely 100% of the time on Friday, no one says anything. And yeah, I get it that, you know, you can't just you can't just praise everyone. Hey, you breathed in and out right there. That was awesome. Good for you. Like, I get it that you can't be that way with everything. But when something is good, especially if it's good for a consistent you know, period of time or, or whatever that may be, praise that too. Like People are more than happy to jump off about what they don't like. Well, jump off about what you do like. you know. Praise people. Be nice. Be encouraging. Stop criticizing. No one cares. No one likes it. It's not going anywhere. Give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. So this is kind of like the appealing to, to nobler motives, but um, the example, and again, this is coming from the idea of a leadership, but, but the way the example he uses in the book is that there's like a guy who he, who the, 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 the manager needs to do, needs this employee to do a task. And he thinks the employee can do it, but the employee is going to have to try pretty hard to do it. Well, so what he does, the manager does is he goes and explains to the employee, that he set expectations with other people about how good of a job he he believes the employee will do, which was true. And so what that does is it creates in the mind of the employee that he has this standard or this reputation that he needs to meet that maybe he didn't already hold himself to. But now that he knows that other people are expecting, now you know he's going to be more invested in that. <laughs> Again, use encouragement. Make the fault seem easy to correct. You know, uh, there's only only one more after this because I I realize it's pretty redundant. But again, encourage people, praise people, let people make mistakes. If the mistake isn't critical, let it go. Let them correct it on their own. Let them have the idea. Let them have the power. Stop being petty. Stop insisting on controlling it all and let other people have their place. And then you might say, well, (laughs) if this is how I live, how am I going to ever have my place? and the the truth is is that you do you do end up having again to kind of sacrifice some stuff but what that does is it engenders it engenders people to to love you, respect you, like you, want to be around you, whatever that is and that's the whole point of this book is how to win friends and influence people. So you might encounter people that you don't really care to influence or that you don't care to win as your friend. You don't have to do any of this. <laughs> this is Again it's a guide on how to how to be better at social interactions that mean something to you. Because again you're selfish, I am selfish, you're selfish and so you want you want something. Well, here's a way, here's a this this whole thing is a guide on how to get that. Final point, make the other person happy about what you suggest. And so you know, this kind of ties into, to just literally everything else. You know, you, you listen, you empathize, you, you really apply these other things to, to work towards winning the other person over. And, you know, you bait the the hook for the fish, right. And it's all of those things lead to the other, to other people being happy about what you're suggesting and to seeing the value in what you're suggesting because you've taken the time and done the work to show them the value that you have or the value that you can offer. And so now they're willing to, to buy into your ideas or your actions or tasks, or again, whatever the case may be. Um, I, you know, again, I, I just summarized the whole book and some bullet points in, uh, in around an hour. Took me a lot longer to read the book than an hour, so in no way is this a, a replacement for reading the book, or is it a you know, a, I would say a fully comprehensive review of it. But it's, um, I, I mean, I, I did go literally. We've covered every every chapter that's in the book, and again, there's a ton of stories in there, a ton of stories, and they're better stories than the ones that I try and come up with, and they're specific and they have names in them, <laughs> and it's not just uh, it's not just me trying to come up with these made up variable type examples that I like to do. But either way, I you know, I'm someone who has been fortunate to have a, a a pretty healthy social life for most of my life. And I always thought that this book was was again, not a good thing, but I was wrong. How to win friends and influence people has a tremendous amount of value and has a lot of really great ideas and insights and the stories that it shares are really great for helping to build and expand upon these ideas that it has. And it's, it's just clear. It's just, it's the foundation for so much of the, the more nuanced or specific training or self-help or whatever kind of, you know, material that's out there today, sales, you know, type stuff, whatever it is. Um, and I, I, I highly, highly recommend giving it a read. Um, and again, I, you know, this isn't turning into <laughs> the self-help book review hour or something. I just, you know, I read these recently, and i I thought that I thought that the other books that I mentioned in the last episode were, were, were really meaningful, but How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, surprised me very much. I had the I had the lowest expectations for it, and I would say that it probably exceeded those beyond any other book that I've read in a long time, and probably because I had low expectations, so. Uh, when it when it surpassed that it was surprising either way thank you guys so much uh for listening Uh, that's it stay up have a good one Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you again so much for listening. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie is the name of the book. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. had a lot of fun reading it, a lot of fun doing this episode. So thanks so much again for listening. Have a great week.